0: We will be reading from three different passages in the book of Hebrews today. Please turn with me first to Hebrews 3, verse 12, in your pew Bible, that's page 206. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Please turn with me now to Hebrews ten twenty-three in your pew Bible. That's page two eleven. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, please turn with me to Hebrews twelve twelve, On your pew Bible, that's 2.13. Therefore, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears.
1: Well, it is good to be back with you. Uh, We avoided the cold, just saying. God kept us safe. God kept us well. God gave us rich experiences away, including time with Emil and Donna Gabadon down in Jamaica, uh, seeing the real Jamaica and the great needs that are there. Also saw the area where Joel and Sam and the others will be uh, planting a church this fall, God willing. Uh, really, really rich time. Wish we had time to give you a more complete report, but we are thanking God for his, for his mercies to us, and it's good to be home. Well, there are um, a number of different things that probably be good for you to be aware of when we think about preaching. In two weeks from today, we're going to be starting a new series of messages through the Gospel of Matthew. So you will want to be reading the Gospel of Matthew and getting familiar with it. Uh, We're going to take at least 80 sermons to get through Matthew, so we're going to be there for a while. Uh, And uh, so just be praying for us, those of us who are preaching and praying for our congregation, uh, that that series will be richly blessed. We are going to take an extended time in the Sermon on the Mount and just Go very slowly and very carefully through that uh, wonderful teaching of our Lord. In the meantime, uh, we have for these last few weeks and over the next couple of weeks been teaching on some topics that have particular relevance and importance for us as a church. Uh, in the Christmas season, you'll recall that we talked much about mission. We need to have made manger imitating love, if you'll remember, to go out into the community as Christ came into our world. we to go into the world of others to bring grace and truth. Then Alex gave us a, a message on the sanctity of human life from the womb. All the way to the tomb. And then last week Leo preached on the va- our value of the empowering and gifting presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And then next week Doug Hayes is going to come and preach on the subject of, of caring for orphans and widows in their distress. These are things that matter. They matter to God and they matter to us. And there's another value. There's another conviction that is dear to us as Risen Hope Church, as a a part of Sovereign Grace Church churches, and that is the value of biblical fellowship. And today I want to lead us in a study in the book of Hebrews on the matter of fellowship. You will recall in Acts chapter 2 when the Historian Luke is giving an account of the earliest days of the Spirit-filled New Testament church. It says in verse 42 of that chapter, and they devoted themselves, and the, the word that he uses there is a strong word. It, it talks about adhering to something, being glued to something, being dedicated to something. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The earliest church knew that there were certain commitments they had to make if they were going to be healthy, if they were going to survive, if they were going to thrive. They needed teaching, they needed prayer, they needed communion, the breaking of bread, and they needed fellowship. So today I want to preach on this topic from the book of Hebrews. And and let me start just by making sure we understand a little bit about fellowship in general. You may well know this, but the word fellowship is in one sense, first of all, a noun, and then it is a verb. Fellowship is something you have. It is an experience that exists, and then it is something you do. It is a practice that you commit to. All of you who are Eagles fans have fellowship one with another. We who are fans of other teams are left out of the fellowship. We are excluded. But that's okay. I'm not going to say any more you have fellowship as, as an objective noun. You share your loyalty to the eagles. That's, that's a noun. You, you have something you share. Now, in the experience of that or in the sharing of that, you do fellowship with each other. You Get together to watch the games. You cheer together. You encourage each other. You've needed lots of encouragement. Uh, you, you, you. I don't think that was a spirit-filled moment right there. I think <laughs> Something else got in there. But you encourage each other. You strengthen each other. You stop it. All right. You have fellowship in that you share the same team. You do fellowship by getting together to encourage, to cheer, and the rest. We who are Christians have fellowship with one another. It is a noun that already exists, that is already ours. We have fellowship with each other. By virtue of the fact that we are all in fellowship with Jesus. We have the same Savior. We have the same Lord. We have the same salvation. We have the same Spirit. We have and are part of the same body. That means we have the noun of fellowship. But having the noun is not enough. We need the verb. We need to do fellowship. We need to practice fellowship. We need to take that which we have and apply it to our lives the early church realized that there was no way they were going to be able to survive in a dark world, in a broken world, in a sin-filled world. There was no way they were going to be able to carry out the Great Commission to take the gospel to all the nations. There was no way they were going to be able to stay holy in an unholy world without fellowship, without doing fellowship with each other. The people to whom this letter of hebrews uh, were it was written were people who were facing hard times there were many temptations coming their way many trials some of them had gone to prison some of for their faith some of them have had their property and their possessions taken away some of them were grieving over the loss of their former cultural connections, they had become Christians, and with that they had felt separated from some of their cultural past, and and there were some of them, it appears many of them, that were thinking about abandoning the faith and going back to their previous cultural roots. And, And though they were people of faith, they were struggling in their faith. And for that reason, the writer to the Hebrews tells them that they needed to be engaged much in fellowship. And so, let me me summarize what I think the book of Hebrews tells us about fellowship. Here's my my statement that will form kind of my outline for uh, my message this afternoon. Fellowship Fellowship happens when... In light of eternity, fellowship happens when, in light of eternity, we secure some common space to see what others face to share God's truth and grace so that none will quit the race. That's what Hebrews is about. Fellowship happens when, in light of eternity, we secure some common space to see what others face, to share God's truth and grace so that none will quit the race. Let me unpack that for you this afternoon. Fellowship happens when, in light of eternity, We engage in meaningful, spiritual encouragement and interaction with one another. Fellowship happens when in light of eternity. Notice, if you would, in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And, notice this, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer to the Hebrews exhorts them to be getting together and encouraging each other. That's fellowship. To be fellowshipping with each other and to be doing it all the more as the day is drawing near. What is that day? Well, it is, it is a day of Wrath for some and a day of rest for others. In Hebrews 4, it talks about there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There there is going to be an eternal Sabbath day. There is going to be an eternal day when all is made right and all of our labors and our sweatings and our cryings and our tears and our frustrations and our sorrows will be no more and it will be rest. Rest. It will be an eternal day of rest. Not inactivity, not boredom, not blah, but life in its fullest with a restful heart. That day is coming. And, And the writer says, in light of the fact that that day, eternity is drawing near, make sure you get together and encourage each other. You see, You see what he's getting at here is this. It is very easy for us as we live life in time and space, as we live life day in, day out, as we turn the calendar and it's Monday and we we turn the calendar and it's February and we just kind of do life. It's very easy for us to get stuck in time and, and stuck in the ordinary and stuck in the mundane and stuck in the everydayness of stuff. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, You have to see beyond now. You have to realize there's an eternal day coming. And in light of that, in light of the fact that there is eternity and we will live forever, either in eternal rest or eternal wrath, there is something to live for. There is is that needs to to hover over and, and shine in on everything we do. We need to be people of that day. We need to be people who who live with as as was C.J. Mahaney used to say. There's two two days on the calendar, today and that day. Today and that day. We need we need to be that kind of Christian. We need to be those who are living life not in the moment, not in, not in the temporary, not in the, the ordinary, not in that which passes away, but those who are conscious of the eternal. And, and the writer says, that day's drawing near. That day's drawing near. So make sure that you don't neglect to be together for the purpose of encouragement and fellowship with each other. Fellowship happens when. In light of eternity, we share or secure some common space. It's my way of expressing what's in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer says that we are to meet together. We need some common space. We need to be in the same place. We need to be with others who are believers. Fellowship doesn't happen in isolation or in absence. It happens when we meet together. It happens when we find. And, and, and I've chosen the word secure, common space. I, I've chosen that word on purpose because it says, and do this all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, this is something that is not just once. This has to happen over and over and over and over again. It has to be frequent. It has to be constant. It has to be persistent. It has to be persevering. It has to Until Jesus comes, we need to be doing this. So we need to secure common space. We need to be with other Christians. Christians in a church are to get together together. Often, finding common space for fellowship. Facebook is not fellowship. Text messaging is not fellowship. Watching TV church is not fellowship. A phone call comes close And I'm not saying there's no fellowship component in any of those things. I'm just saying it's not not the best kind of fellowship. It's not the biblical kind of fellowship. The biblical kind of fellowship is when you and I are face to face. It's when believers meet in one place in light of eternity, realizing that there are eternal consequences at stake, realizing that there's an eternity to prepare for, realizing that there's that day coming on which we're going to be assessed for all that we have done in this life, realizing all of that, we need to find some common space and we need to secure that space so that it becomes fixed and permanent in our lives. Fellowship happens when in light of eternity, we secure some common space to see what others face. To see what others face. Look at verse 24 of Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love. And good works. That word considers the word I want you to notice here. It is a. It, it translates a Greek word that that means to to look at, to watch carefully, in order to perceive, in order to discern, in order to see. Not just a glazed over. You know, like when I'm standing up here, I can't really look at anybody's uh, uh, face in a, in a discerning. You're just a, kind of all a blur of faces out there. That's not the kind of looking. It's, it's the kind of looking where we're, we're, we're looking to discern. We're looking to perceive. We're looking to see. The writer says, consider one another. Look at each other in such a way. Relate to each other in such a way that you see. You see. Look over at chapter 12 and verse 15. Chapter 12 and verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That phrase, see to it, translates another Greek word. And that Greek word is made up of two smaller Greek words. One of them meaning to watch and the other meaning over. The writer is saying, watch over each other. Watch over each other. So that no one falls short of the grace of God. These these. Texts are teaching us that in light of eternity, we need to secure some common space to see what others are facing, to, to actually look into their lives, to get to know them deeply enough and well enough that you're actually seeing them. You're actually seeing their needs. And what are you going to see? What are you going to see the closer you get? Well, look at chapter 12. You know what you're going to see? First of all, you're going to see weak Christians who need to be strengthened. Look at, look at chapter 12 and verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and or strengthen, <laughs> strengthen your weak knees. He's talking here about the body of Christ and he's saying in every church, in every congregation, there are weak hands, there are drooping hands, there are are knees that need to be strengthened, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who who need to be strengthened. You go to a community group, you engage in fellowship, and you look, you consider to perceive and see, and you'll see weak Christians that need to be strengthened. You'll also see crooked paths that need to be straightened. Look at at verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You will see, if you engage in meaningful fellowship, you will see brothers and sisters in Christ whose path is not straight, their path is crooked. They're going in this direction, that direction, another direction. They may be off the path entirely. They are not walking in wisdom. They are not walking the straight and the narrow. They're not going in the right direction. And you're going to find Christians who just need to have their path straightened for them. Or you're going to, you're going to see passive Christians that need to be stirred. Look at, look at verse 14, the author seeks to stir up these believers. He says, strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What's he he suggesting here? He's saying some of his readers, some Christians, some people in churches, some people in this church, some people here right now have become passive, have become passive, negligent, have become spiritually slothful, have become a bit lazy, the word used in chapter 2, are drifting a bit, and you're not striving. You're not aiming for the mark. You're not aiming for the target and, and giving energy to it. You're not like a runner who's got his eyes set on the finish line, and I'm going for it. Every time we get together in fellowship with others, many times we will find Christians who are passive, who are getting lazy in their faith, and they need to be stirred. They need to be stirred. Or or you'll find people who are faltering, who need to be secured. Look at verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. There are those who are in the race who are Loosening their grip on the Gospel. They're loosening their grip on grace. Their, their, their hearts and their faith are beginning to falter. Seems like they might even be failing. They need to be secured. You're going to find that in your community group. You're going to find that in your spheres of fellowship. We, that's what we're going to see when we consider one another. You're going to find bitter Christians who need the grace of forgiveness. Look at verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. So grateful for the word shared earlier about anger and the battle with anger. It is something that can so easily sink its roots into our hearts and and it turns into bitterness and... Rage, and, and it poisons us, Hebrews says. And you, you get involved in fellowship. You get involved in community life, real spiritual community life. You get up close to people, and you, and you consider them, see them. You're going to find some who are really battling with bitterness, and they're going to need help. To find the grace of forgiveness. The grace of mercy to be offered to others. You get involved in this way, and you're going to see some immoral Christians who need to be sanctified. Look at, look at verse 16. See to it that no one is sexually immoral. The, the writer is saying that in the church, there are people who are sinning sexually, they are sexually immoral. And there's a whole range of possibilities as to what that means. But we know what the Bible says about sexual purity and and what the standard of God is. But I guarantee you that in your spheres of friendship and fellowship, there are people who are struggling here. And we need to consider one another, not to judge them, not to condemn them, not to to pour wrath on them, but to offer them the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to see people who you might call immediate gratification people that need to be sobered up a bit. Look at verse 16. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. You, you remember the story of Esau back in the Old Testament, the, the son of Isaac, Esau and Jacob, and they were twins. And, but Esau came out just before Jacob did, so he was the firstborn. And as the firstborn son He had in that culture, in that time, the birthright, which means that he had unique privileges and unique position and unique honor and unique status. But one day, he got hungry. He was really hungry. And his younger brother, Jacob, had a pot of stew. And Esau goes to Jacob and says, I'm hungry. Give me some of your soup. And Jacob says, give me your birthright and I'll give you some soup. And Esau, in his commitment to instant gratification, I want food and I want it now. I know that feeling. I want food and I want it now. In his commitment to instant gratification, he sold his birthright. You know how many people there are in our churches today? You know how many folks there are who are brothers and sisters in Christ who are tempted to do the same thing? We have a birthright, don't we? We are the sons and the daughters of the living God. God is our Father, and we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means that all that Christ has, we have. All that He inherits, we inherit. His glory, His heaven, His home, His beauty, His wealth, all of it is ours. But we're tempted to sell our birthright for a bowl of soup. Maybe it's an illicit relationship. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's some other form of immediate gratification, but we'll sell our birthright. You go into fellowship, you commit to engage with others in a community of faith, and you're going to see people who are getting ready to sell their birthright for something that won't last more than five minutes. They're getting ready to sell that which lasts forever for that which passes in just a moment. Fellowship happens when, in light of eternity, we secure some common space to see what others face, all those things I've just described, to share God's truth and grace. To share God's truth and grace. So in verse 25 of chapter 10, the author says, Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but be encouraging one another. Be encouraging one another. Share words of encouragement. The, the word used here can speak of gentle, comforting encouragement. It can speak of exhortation and urging. It can speak of warning and admonishment, depending on what the need of the moment is. But what it is, is bringing God's truth and God's grace to bear on wherever that person is. You see that person who's about to sell his birthright for a pot of stew, and you encourage them with the truth and the grace of God. You see that person who's getting involved in sexual immorality and you encourage and exhort them with the grace and the truth of God. You see that person who is faltering, that person who is passive and you encourage and you exhort and you admonish so that they will continue in the grace of God and strive for that peace with all men and strive for that holiness without which they will never see the Lord. Back in chapter 3, the text that was read, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. My understanding of that text is that if you go longer than a day without meaningful fellowship with some other Christian, your heart's at risk of being hardened. The world is that heated of a place in a bad way that it will harden the clay of your heart In a 24 hour period of time, if you are not engaged somehow in meaningful encouragement from others. Now, don't get me wrong, don't turn that into legalism. Don't feel guilty. Don't, oh, I didn't talk to a Christian yesterday. I'm in trouble. All right? It's not the point. The point is that the New Testament Christians realized they couldn't go very long without each other. So even in Acts chapter 2, they met daily daily. We, if, if we don't think we need daily fellowship, it's because we don't understand the danger we're in. You know, you go to other parts of the world where there's persecution and poverty and need, those Christians, they travel six hours, eight hours and spend the whole day together. Why? Because, well, their need is obvious. They're being persecuted. They need each other. Our need is not quite so obvious. Ours is more subtle. Ours is more sneaky. We can actually think we don't need it. It's proof that we do. And, and we need fellowship as much as they do. And we need to be engaged with one another. Fellowship happens when in light of eternity, we secure some common space to see what others Face to share God's truth and grace so that none will quit the race. Did you notice the emphasis of chapter 12? Struck me recently as I was reading this, never quite noticed it this way before, but in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and defiles, that no one is sexually immoral or, by implication, no one is unholy like Esau. The writer of Hebrews is concerned for every single believer. Don't leave anyone behind. Don't let anyone fall short. We are responsible for each other. You are your brother's keeper, you are your sister's keeper, you are a means of grace in the lives of others of faith. Others who love Jesus, who are struggling, who are weak, who are faltering. They need you. You need them. Chapter 12 begins with the metaphor of race. Run this race with patience and endurance. Setting aside the sin that so easily Uh, besets us, and then it says that there are going to be drooping hands and weak knees in this race. Let's get with each other. Let's get behind each other. Let's get under each other. Some people we're going to have to carry across the finish line. But let's carry them across the finish line. This is the kind of fellowship that Hebrews calls us to. We are living in a war zone, and we need the band of brothers and sisters. That we find in the local church. That we find in this church. And if you don't think you need this fellowship. Then it indicates that you've already been at least a little bit deceived by sin. You need it. Now if you don't think anybody else needs your fellowship. Then you need to be reminded of what you heard last week from Leo. We are all members of the body of Christ who have received spiritual gifts, and no member can say, You don't need me. We need your fellowship. I need your fellowship. You need our fellowship. You cannot do the Christian life alone. Try it, and your faith will die. We cannot survive. We can never thrive in isolated faith. Fellowship happens when in light of eternity we secure some common space to see, to see what others face and share God's truth and grace that none will quit the race. How does this play out in life? How does this work? Well, I'd suggest to you that as a church and as a fellowship of believers, there's probably three levels of fellowship that we, we believe are healthy and to some degree uh, necessary for every believer. The first level is, re- we'll call it relational fellowship. This is this is what happens organically. This is just what happens by virtue of friendships and connections and, and location and all the rest where it just you relate to others and in those relationships, fellowship de- develops. The second is structural. That is, as a church, if, if we are going to make sure that every member of this church has some space to share with others in fellowship, then we need to structure that into our life as a church. It won't happen automatically. It won't happen. Just like Sunday worship would not happen automatically. Let's just say we, we decided, well, you know what? We want to worship together, but we're not going to plan it. No time set, no location set, no nothing set, no music set. Just let's worship together what's going to happen this isn't going to happen this isn't going to happen you might get together with one or two but this isn't going to happen it needs to be structured it needs to be planned in our church our structure for biblical fellowship is community groups where we have a half a dozen groups located in various communities around here of 10 15 20 depending on the group uh, adults who get together for fellowship they get together to see, in common space to see what others are facing so that they can speak and share God's truth and grace so that none will quit the race you need to be in a community group you need to be in fellowship this you say why well, get my fellowship elsewhere well i'm i'm guessing it's not all the fellowship you need you need the kind of fellowship where, where, first of all, you're rubbing shoulders with people that are a little bit different from you, people who are not, don't think exactly like you, people who uh, maybe you wouldn't be initially drawn to, but you need them for that very reason, because it's those differences, it's those, those quirks, it's those perceptions, it's those perspectives that are different than yours that you need so you, you need a context, a structure where you're mixing it up with different kinds of believers. And we need the structure to make sure that everyone has a place. Because when we don't, invariably there will be people who are left out. When there is not a structure in place where everybody has a place they can go for fellowship, then some who do not easily connect, some who are not so readily welcomed or, or pursued, some will be left out and we don't want that to happen. Every one of you who is a part of this church and even if you're visiting our church, we want you to know we've got a place where you can fellowship. We've got a place where you can hang. We've got some common space available where you can, you can come together and see what others are facing so that they can share with you and you can share with them God's truth and grace. So that together we can make sure that no one quits the race. There's also, we, call, we can call it supplemental fellowship. And these are other aspects of church life where we're trying to reinforce these basic structures. So our grace and race fellowship is is added to the community group fellowship because in our unique, wonderful, glorious experience as a church, we're realizing that if we are going to go deep with each other in love and unity, we need to understand each other. And the only way to understand each other is to talk with each other. And so we have these me, these, these fellowship times for grace and race. Or there's occasional men's times for fellowship and women's times for fellowship. There's youth time for fellowship. There's young adult fellowship. These are supplement. Fundamental to community group and the existing structures in our church. Make no mistake, there is sacrifice involved in this. We're not committed to making the Christian life as easy as possible. We're committed to establishing here a place where the Christian life and all of its difficulties and challenges is met with grace and truth from every angle possible to secure our hearts so that we don't fail to obtain the grace of God. And so, may it be that someday when historians write about Risen Hope Church that they will say something like this. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship. Lord, would that you would grant this to us. Would you please make us this kind of church and stir us, Lord, so that we will strive together after these things. In Jesus' name, amen.